tongues this morning. That was a blessing. All right, well, we'll get right into this morning's message. We're continuing um, where I began last week. We're taking a look at Isaiah chapter 42, the first nine verses, as a Christmas uh, sermon series, Advent series. And so last week we began that look at Isaiah 42, which was one of four servant songs that are found in Isaiah. And it speaks of the servant of the Lord, and further scripture in the New Testament tells us that the servant of the Lord is Jesus, right? And appropriately, we can look at this passage as a reminder to us of the Christian Christmas story in Luke. And as a way to connect this text to our hearts, I've chosen also to use a song that's many of our favorite song at Christmas, or one of our favorites, O Holy Night. And uh, the reason is, is there's a lot of scripture that is in the song. Now, last week I told you a little bit about the history of the song, how it was uh, written at the request of a priest in France in 1847. I shared with you that the man who originally wrote it in the French language, at least the words, uh, was not even a believer. And then he asked a friend of his, or someone he knew, to put it to music, Adolf Charles Adams, and he wrote the melody for it. He was also not a believer. And so maybe a fair question would be, should we pay attention to this song at all, or should we sing it? It's not written by a believer. And I'm going to say I think we should, and the reason I think we should is that the words of this song stand up to the test of Scripture. In fact, I could be so bold as to say that this non-believer who wrote this song almost 200 years ago in the beautiful French language that it was written in originally, uh, maybe wrote a song that stands up better to Scripture than some of the songs we hear on Christian radio today. Okay? So now we're reminded that God can speak, right? He can speak even through the mouth or the pen of an unbeliever. In fact, Scripture records that God has even spoken through the mouth of a donkey. And as my wonderful preaching professor often reminded me, if God could speak through Balaam's donkey, he can use you too. <laughs> he was a good professor. He loved me. Anyway, now I want to start out, I want to read, and you, you'll have this in the sheet. If you didn't get one last week or this morning, there's a green or red sheet, and uh, you can raise your hand and we'll get one to you. But in there, I've put the literal translation. In other words, word for word, we took the French, uh, not me, but because I don't even know French, we took the French language and put the English corresponding word next to it. And, uh, and I want to read that because uh, you may not hear such a clear presentation in today's music of the problem of sin and the solution of Christ who sets one free and who calls the proud to humble themselves. So here's the literal translation, and you can follow along. So it says, Midnight, Christians, it is the solemn hour when God as man descended among us to expunge the stain of original sin and to put an end to the wrath of his Father. The entire world thrills with hope on this night which gives us a Savior. People on your knees, pay attention to your deliverance. Christmas, Christmas, here is the Redeemer. The ardent light of our faith guides us to the cradle of the infant, as in ancient times a brilliant star conducted the Magi there from the Orient. 
A king of kings was born in a humble manger. O mighty ones of today, proud of your grandeur, it is to your pride that God preaches. Bow your heads before the Redeemer. The Redeemer has broken all shackles. The earth is free and heaven is open. He sees a brother where there was once but a slave. Love unites those who restrain the sword. Who will tell him our gratitude? It is for us all that he was born, that he suffered and died. People, stand up, sing your deliverance. Christmas, Christmas, let us sing the Redeemer. So you can see that if we were to sing, try to sing it in those exact literal translations, it's not very poetic, it's not very easy to sing, but you can see the truth uh, that was in it. Now I want to quickly go through just a few of the points in there and just show you that scripture is found throughout this song. So first of all, it says God descending among us. In John 1.14, we find that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Then it says to expunge the stain of original sin. Romans 5.12, therefore, as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. That's called original sin. To put an end to the wrath of the Father, Romans 5, 9, for as by, I'm sorry, since therefore we have been justified by his blood, how much more will be saved by him from the wrath of God? The entire world thrills with hope on this night, which gives us a Savior. This chapter 2 and verses 10 through 14, and the angels said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Then it says, people on your knees, pay attention to your deliverance. Matthew 2, 11, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It says, Christmas, Christmas, here is the Redeemer. Job 19, 25, and 26, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. In Isaiah 49, 7, Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and praise and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel. Who has chosen you. First Thessalonians 1.10 says to wait for the Son from heaven who, ra- who he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And that's just verse 1 of this song written by a non-believer. <laughs> right? We'll look at the other verses later. But we still haven't even gotten to our main passage yet, so let's go there. Isaiah 42, and we're reading just the first seven verses for now. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. 
He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon and from the prisoners from the prison those who sit in darkness. So let's go to verse 5. We'll begin there. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. This is the creator God. This is the God of Genesis, who created the universe with a word. He is the one who gives breath to people. And here we are reminded of the creation account we find in Genesis. Remember who is speaking here. It's the prophet Isaiah, but his words are the very words of God. Who does his authority come from? His authority to speak comes from God. God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who gives breath to the people in it and spirit to those who walk in it. Now this is something we can gloss over. God described here, we could, we could spend hours speaking of him. His attributes, who he is, what he does. It's a wonderful topic. It's worthy of talking about. He gives to all men life and breath and everything we learn in the book of Acts. Continuing in verse 6, I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nation. So who in this verse is you? I have called you. Well, it's the servant from verse 1. I am the Lord. I have called you, my servant, in righteousness. The one who calls also takes him by the hand and keeps him. Now, the word that's translated here is to preserve, to safeguard. It could also derive from a word that means shape or fashion. Whom the Lord calls, he shapes for the appointed task. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Now, isn't it interesting that he's referring to a person, this servant, also as a covenant? Well, how could a person be a covenant? Well, when the person is the Word. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Covenants are made with words. And God's covenant was referred to as the Word. Only Jesus could fulfill this covenant. He did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he declared that a new covenant was upon the people of Israel. This covenant was promised by God through another prophet, Jeremiah. And we see this in chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And that's quoted as well in Hebrews 8. And Jesus affirmed the new covenant had come when in the last supper he said in Luke 22, 20, uh, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So God has given Jesus, the servant, 
as a covenant for the people and a light for the nations. Isaiah 9.2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Now, I don't often tell people to go listen to me twice. I can barely listen to myself once. But I'm using a lot of scriptures, so many in this sermon, that you may want to go back to faith life later and, and listen again and note all these connections. I'm going rather quickly, but I hope your faith is encouraged this morning that this holiday we're celebrating, this Christmas season, it gets me very excited when I contemplate how complete the scripture is. There can be no mistake. There are so many prophetic words fulfilled in Christ. We're focused today on the nativity, but the prophecies fulfilled with Jesus are even far more than his miraculous birth. And we can marvel at this wonderful tapestry that is the Holy Scripture. It weaves together perfectly. A wonderful story, yes, but so much more. Our very salvation is found in these pages, and if we really take a pause and reflect on it, we ought to just stand here with our jaws dropping to the floor and stupefied at the power and majesty and perfection of God's word. It's more precious than silver or gold, and much more precious is Christ himself, who all of Scripture points to. But now we get to the part of Isaiah 42 that inspired yet another participant in the story of the song, O Holy Night. You see, over in America was a preacher named John Sullivan Dwight. Now, Dwight had a hobby of sorts that he liked to find Christian songs from churches around the world and translate them or have someone help him translate them so that he could introduce them to congregations here in the United States. And he was described, this Dwight, John Sullivan Dwight, as a fiery abolitionist. In other words, he was a person fighting against slavery. He fought slavery from the pulpit. He fought it from the political side as well. And when he discovered Cantique de Noel, O Holy Night, he fell in love with its message of freedom, so he rewrote it in English. And the part of the song that has appealed to most about the, mostly to him as an abolitionist is also the part that stirs my heart. And it resonates in several places in Scripture, this idea of Jesus being one who sets free captives, who breaks chains, who frees slaves. Isaiah 42, 7 to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. The NIV, I think, puts it nicely as well, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And the King James Version says, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Now, you may have noticed in the literal translation I read at the beginning, there certainly is power in those words. But in order to sing them well, the English had to be uh, made more poetic to fit with the melody of the song. And so Dwight translated this part into what we all know today. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. And in his name, 
all oppression shall cease. The literal translation of that section was the Redeemer has broken all shackles. The earth is free and heaven is open. He sees a brother where there was once but a slave. Love unites those who restrain the sword. And now we see that yet another part of the story has been told us about this song. And I have a little more to tell you, but you'll have to come back next week. (laughs) Who else could this song be telling of if not Jesus? Who else could the prophecies be pointing to if not Jesus? Who else could set the prisoner free if not Jesus? Who else can bring light to those in darkness if not Jesus? Who else could be a covenant to the people if not Jesus? Who else could turn aside the wrath of God if not Jesus? Who else could expunge the stain of original sin, cause us to thrill with hope, to humble the proud, to suffer, die, rise again, and promise to come again if not Jesus? He's the servant of Isaiah's servant songs. He's the Son of God sent to save the world. He's the only one through whom the world was created. And he was there in the beginning. He's worthy of, at very least, our respect, but much more, he's worthy of all of our praise. All of our efforts and strivings in life ought to be to serve him. And he has the power over the grave so that those who put faith and confidence in him may have hope eternal. How much could I say about Jesus? How long do we have? We could speak of him forever. And someday, we who have faith in him will praise his name forever. He is the ancient of days. He's the lamb who was slain for the sin of the world. The propitiation, that is, the one who turns away the wrath of God from those of us who deserve that wrath. Did I mention he's head of the church? Colossians 1:15 to 20, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Did I mention his salvation? Ephesians 2, 4-7, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Did I mention his love? 1 John 4, 10 and 11, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Did I mention he's coming soon? Revelation 22, 7, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. Christmas 
must be more to us than presents and lights and candles and songs, even more than our family. Christmas is about Jesus, and I haven't said enough about him. Luke 2.11, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. We say Jesus is the reason for the season, and that could possibly be taken as trite by someone. And someone might say that's an overused phrase. It's just thrown about like a lot of other catchy sayings. But it's the truth that Jesus is the reason for the season. I often wonder why Christmas is so special even to non-believers. Even people of other faiths, some of them celebrate Christmas. Why does this season bring such a reaction? And yet, at the same time, many people fear the coming of this holiday. They are people who have been abused or abandoned. Their spouses who have been cheated on, children who have been ne- neglected, those left alone because of untimely deaths, those who have had a falling out with their family, and now at Christmas time they're tortured by the imagery of families together celebrating with joy, great joy and loving embraces. They see the Hallmark movies that show how the romance always is quite literally wrapped up in a neat little bow by the end little perfect situations that they always show, and they think to themselves, what a horrible world. And they beat themselves up, and they think they're losers. They think there's something wrong with them. For Christmas, some people find it a sad and depressing time. But hope is there for them. The hope will not come from a new relationship with people. It won't come from taking a vacation or buying some stuff. Their only hope is Jesus. And sadly, many people don't really know what Christmas is about. Not really. I'm sure if you surveyed many people, even some people who maybe consider themselves to be Christian, they might not be able to tell you what the birth of Christ was really all about. But it's our job to tell them. So consider your duty. It's not a duty to your pastor, not even to your church. You have a duty to share the love of Christ, and it's not a duty I charge you with. It is Jesus himself. He's commanded that we make disciples, that we love one another. We say we love Jesus. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. He commands that we live for him and proclaim the gospel to others, and that we reach out to give others the hope he's given us. Now, today marks about 20 days until Christmas, if my knocking it's working right what will you do to help others come to understand what it's all about i want to help you as much as i can so when you leave today available on all of our little stands back there are a card like this it's a business card size card to invite people to our christmas eve service so take some cards with you And don't just lay them somewhere and hope that someone will pick them up. It's the personal invite that's most effective. Did you know this? There's people that make their whole living studying the church, studying what drives people to come to church, what makes them leave the church, what makes the church attract people, all of these things. And we're trying to do things like enhancing our website and making our building look nice. All of those things are good. But do you know what? Marketing 
and websites and mailers and all of those things are great, but you know what the number one thing that brings people to church is? A personal invite. Now, for your convenience, we did put a QR code on the back of the invite, so that'll send people to our website for more information as well. And let me assure you of this. At our Christmas Eve service, the gospel is going to be clearly presented. Now, I love telling stories. I love to sing songs. But I realize that on the holidays, we often are getting unchurched people to come to church that don't usually come. And our purpose is not just to get a lot of guests to come and fill our buildings so we can say, wow, look what all the people we got. That's not the purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God and show our love for Jesus and to proclaim his story So pray about who you will invite, okay? Pray for those who will come. Pray for me as I prepare a message. And pray for our worship team as they prepare music and all the other people that are going to be involved in making it a nice time. And so when you invite folks to join us for Christmas Eve, you can let them know we're not going to keep them all night. This is important. It's a busy time. People have stuff to do, right? So we will keep the service to just over an hour or so. And uh, I'm very sensitive that people have lots of family events and things to do. And so carefully consider how you're going to spend this holiday honoring Jesus. Interact with people. Look out for the lonely and hurting. And especially those who have lost loved ones this year. Their hearts are tender from their loss. So let's be kind and supportive. Be the one who is kind to the clerk at the store, not a pain. Okay? Or the server at the restaurant, or the receptionist at the office, or whatever else it might be. Everyone you deal with, in fact. Smile when the line is long. Hold your tongue when you would like to complain about the crowds. Smile instead, love others, strike up a conversation and tell them the reason for the season. And you know, I just remembered, I'm going to give you an example of this, and I hope he doesn't mind me using it. I don't think it'll be a problem, but John Sappy and I were having a nice conversation this week. He was in Orlando a few days ago, all the way home, and he was about a block and a half from home, and he got rear-ended. It wasn't really bad, he's okay, but as he stood there for an hour, guess what he used his opportunity to do? He shared Jesus. He invited the man to church. He gave him my personal phone number so he could call me if he wanted to. And if John can do it, we can all do it. Okay? So let's do it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the reminders throughout our service, through the songs and through the readings and through the communion, Lord. You have drawn ourselves closer closer to you this morning, and we thank you for that. We worship you, Lord. We want to magnify you and glorify you with our lives. Lord, we need your empowerment because 